welcome to another episode of bharat varta podcast today our guest is mr tuhin sinha tuhin is an author screenwriter columnist content strategist based in mumbai and delhi presently he is national media panelist of the bjp and represents the party as spokesperson across various tv channels uh, tuhin has written multiple books including mission sanjan uh, which was a uh, best seller which came about 2 years back or six one year back 6 months 6 months, months, months ago first pandemic thriller and he is ready with another book uh, the legend of birsa munda the topic of our conversation today so welcome to the podcast tuhin thank you vivek uh, it's a pleasure being on bharat varta i have really enjoyed the previous conversation with ashish for mission shengzhen so it's always uh, lovely to be back here so it's quite a journey you had uh, from writing you know uh, scripts for uh, various soap operas to writing 11 books uh, which are of various topics typically of contemporary relevance and then today uh, we have written a book which is very very factual account of a legend of our independence movement mr birsa munda so how do you manage these different roles i just get bored very quickly so i need to keep reinventing myself and sometimes the the you know the longevity span in a particular task is less than a year so fortunately uh, you know while while uh, i i think multitasking is something which helps you improvise a lot in life because gone are the days when you would spend 30 40 years in one job and then you know save for your retirement so i think it's it's um, um i always had a you know a social consciousness having grown up uh, in the early 1990s or you know maybe uh, let me put it this way the the time when you become politically aware right was 13 when uh, in 1990 a whole lot of uh, 1990 was a very politically eventful year whether it was ayodhya whether it was the reservation mandal commission stir so all of that uh, very instantly it makes you politically aware without somebody prodding you or somebody educating you on what's happening around and obviously that was a time when when uh, india after four decades of being with the congress was desperately looking for an alternative so i think that explains my political choice also and over the years even though i pursued uh, an independent career as an author which i still retain during the day i managed to squeeze in a few hours to write i um i'm equally entrenched today in a political career and which makes the journey all the more uh, fascinating so in fact if you look at it the last two books whether it was mission shengzhen which was a pandemic thriller but with a very uh, but with a very relevant geopolitical messaging against china or the latest one birsa munda i think somewhere these books are an extension of the political narratives we see around us in a subtle way and an extension of my political thought process so yes i mean it's a very fascinating journey where uh, one gets to do multiple things without losing uh, the core focus so let's come to your latest book the legend of besa munda i have been able to go through about the first two parts so the book is divided into three sections the first part talks about the birth and formative years of uh, besa munda the second part is more about his development uh, as a spiritual leader and the uh, and an icon of national movement and the third part is basically about the ulgulan or the revolution that he birthed and led 
before he was captured and poisoned in the jail by by british raj so uh, coming to this book so this is a very very factual account let's say compared to your other books which has uh, you know dollops of imagination and scenario building etc this is a very very factual account of the life and times of uh, uh, birsa munda so how do you how do you see your book in terms of its its uh, academic relevance it's a very popular race style narrative that you have written but uh, it illuminates the life of birsa munda very well so how do you how do you see your work uh, among the legions of work which are available on on birsa munda so you know it had to be factual because it is about a historical character unfortunately the historical character had not got his due so one had to delve into it deeper so i'll tell you where the journey started um i have grown up in jamshedpur which is barely i think uh, the place where i live was barely 100 kilometers away from the karm bhumi of birsamunda or from the places where the revolution were unleashed in 1899 there are places in jamshedpur ranchi and in fact all across jharkhand named after birsamunda yet in all of my growing years when one would try to find out a little more about the icon there was an there was a very unusual dearth of information about him because history has always been written from the point of view of kings and and uh, rulers subaltern history no matter how significant the contribution may have been has been very conveniently ignored so it was only after you know the change of regime in 2014 and when narendra modi ji became the prime minister that i think a conscious attempt has been made to alter the narrative and to study or delve into some of those historical characters whose contribution has always been ignored so when i started uh, you know like let me put it this way when you traverse the world you begin your journey inwards so birsa munda is my journey inwards and um, you know during the course of my writing i realized that apart from the mainstream freedom movement which was being reported and which we are aware of which we have studied there was a there was a you know equally important subaltern parallel movement which has been happening from around 1770 so there are at least you know 100 different characters who have contributed to the mainstream movement because these movements became a precursor to 1857 and thereby the indian freedom movement actually began much before 1857 you know that made the entire journey very exciting to get into the mind of the 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 tribal revolutionaries see as far as the writing is concerned obviously it had to be factual because it it documents the life of um, one of um, the biggest revolutionaries which india has ever seen but at the same time to be honest i am not a historian so i you know i i did not impose any attend, attendant burden upon me to to write it in a non fiction format apart from the core character of birsa munda i have taken the liberty of dramatization of some of the events and some of the secondary characters because that also makes the book more palatable to the younger generation and at the same time the core uh, chapters or the bulk of writing of this book happened during the early months of uh, the pandemic in 2020 because the book had been on my mind for a very long time but you know uh, because of uh, frequent travel and an increasing involvement with politics uh, i had put it on the back burner fortunately i came across uh, somebody who was very keen to co-author with me so the initial draft was written by her 
and uh, then it went on because you know it was uh, the first time i was attempting the subject it went for a lot of rewriting a lot of editing and finally the book is out as you mentioned that uh, there has been a parallel subaltern movement independence movement that has been going on uh, in conjunction with the mainstream movement that we see uh, right from 1770 onwards so having studied some of those aspects would you say that such movements starting with your sanyasi rebellion in 1770 including the movement of birsa munda did they have a wider wider consciousness of british rule being foreign rule and being exploitative by its very nature because it was foreign rule and or or was it something which was which germinated due to local issues which obviously came due to the nature of the british raj itself but uh, the local issues like you know agrarian issues or issues around availability of food and water etc that we see happening throughout the 19th century so in fact i'm glad you you put forth that question because if you actually look at the, some of these freedom struggles of the in tribal areas they were rather complex the britishers in many of these battles were not directly uh, sorry the the tribals were not directly fighting the britishers it was a layered fight they their direct adversaries were twofold on the one hand were the zamindars who were, who kept exploiting every time there was a famine or a drought instead of actually helping the the tribals or the poor they went out of the way to actually fleece them impose greater taxes and on the other hand at least in jharkhand and some of the other areas simultaneously from around 1853 54 onwards the britishers also decided decided to culturally subjugate the tribals and how did they do this they you know at least in charkhand they set up the german missionary with a very uh, clear tar- target of get- converting a certain number of tribals into christianity every year so i think this twofold enemies or the twofold villains that uh, that uh, the tribals were fighting the zamindars on the one hand the missionaries on the other hand and both of them were actually at the back in call of uh, the britishers so that made the fight more layered and i'll tell you how it would be equally complex the entire issue like many a times these tribal families or these adivasi families would actually convert to christianity due to the lure of money or due to the lure of a better future so in fact birsa munda's family converted initially and then when he went to uh, when he was put in the chaibasa missionary school a boarding school he had to convert to christianity now when they converted to christianity they were given all kinds of sops you know they were told that their debts would be written off but then these missionaries also thrived on the finance of the zamindars so most of these promises were never respected because the zamindars would uh, you know not would stop funding them if if they were to you know not follow the britishers eventually so all of this led to a very complicated situation for the tribals where eventually they realized or at least birsa munda realized that the zamindars or the missionaries were only only you know the fronts for the britishers and his fight primarily in 1899 1900 was against father hoffman one of the most wily uh, missionary who was all out on a mission to convert and and, and the british administration so most of the places that his uh, revolution targeted were government offices and uh, unfortunately some of the churches also 
but uh, that's how it was so one of the constant features of the british raj that we see is the presence of indians who acted as fronts for them whether it was the british army or the british administration i mean the tip of the spear so to say was always always indians and we continue to see that happening even today i mean there is no dearth of people who who are flourishing today despite not really doing things which are in the best interests of india so how do you how do you account for the the presence of this feature in 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 us what what makes us uh, go well, against somebody, our, own, our own country and are, our own culture you were asking me on a day when somebody has just confessed that he raised 76 lakhs yeah, yeah. merely for his livelihood merely for his livelihood when at the core of it uh, the purpose of that campaign was modi hate hatred or a hatred for the present regime so if you know hating the ruler helps you generate lively helps helps uh, generating livelihood in the country so be it but bottom line is that uh, across history i think the human race has been very selfish they haven't bothered too much about what's happening in the country very few are politically aware very few are conscious of what's happening in the society most of them live a very narrow existence and uh, their primary purpose is to make their ends meet so that's what uh, you know the andolan gvs are doing today and that's what uh, some of the people who supported britishers 100 years back or 150 years back uh, did in those times the other feature of the british raj that we that which which is actually not talked about much because it is seen as something you know which was more uh, of of uh, exploitative in nature but one aspect which is not talked much is the christian missionary conversion uh, aspect of that right from the days of charles grant who came around 1800s and set up missionaries all across india towards till almost till the end of the british raj the christian conversion missions flourished and they, they were continue they continue today also and they continue today also what is what is their modus operandi what has it been do you see how has it evolved over last 200 years in india and it continues to remain remain a problem for india i am glad uh, you asked uh, this question because the, if you look at it in the last 7 years uh, this present government under honorable prime minister narendra modi has made a very conscious effort to reach out to janjatis in fact uh, i don't remember any any prime minister having invoked birsa munda as many times as he has or having sp- spoken about the subaltern freedom movement as many times as the present prime minister has i think the core of the problem right lies in the fact that this particular community which con- comprises a good 9 to 9.5% of our population somewhere did not you know uh, did not get a sense of belonging with the present reg- with the previous regimes which made them vulnerable a to naxal movements b to missionaries and uh, three to conversions they were most vulnerable to being converted so i think uh, the solution lies in a more uh, in us embracing them more in a more robust manner in our, in the hindutva fold because when when a politician broaches this narrative that adivasis were never christians they were never meant to be i think that entire claim is malafide like in the course of writing 
the book obviously i have uh, delved a lot in, into birsamunda's religious moorings as well and during the period 1890 to 1894 when he had you know when he when his when his uh, whereabouts was not known when he was an absolute wanderer he was being tutored or he was being um, he was under the tutelage of a vaishnavite guru anand anand pandey and most of the teachings revolved around mahabharat revolved around ramayan and revolved around bhagavad gita and in fact even after pirsamunda emerged reemerged in 1894 when his villagers suddenly uh, you know sensed some spiritual powers in him or extraordinary healing abilities in him and when he first uh, for the first couple of years uh, became famous as a as a social reformer and a healer most of his teachings again would be from the gita ramayana or mahabharat so merely because you know some some practices of the tribals are different by way of their habitation whether it is nature worship whether it is you know worshiping certain certain gods like singabonga is the the god which they you know which they refer to or uh, refer most uh, commonly that is on account of the habitation tomorrow if you were to start living in a forest or if i were to start living in a forest and would you know one year down the line some of our cultural practices would change because of the habitat but that by no means meant that it was a different religion in fact uh, tribals at that point of time were not educated enough to understand perhaps uh, comprehend so much the difference between culture and religion whatever research i have put into it based on that i can safely infer that birsa's teachings were part of a distinctive cultural identity in fact uh, they were meant to get back all of those munda community members or tribal community members who had converted to christianity back into the fold of uh, of uh, the in, the ancient religion they performed they they practiced but there was never any antipathy towards the hindu religion something which some of the present day leaders presently propagate so i think uh, a greater sense of belonging needs to be developed which which the honorable prime minister has rightly been doing and in fact uh, i have made a few suggestions to the honorable prime minister through a letter i sent some time back i do feel that conferment of bharat ratna to birsa munda can be a big catalyst in unifying the tribal community and making them realize their own contribution in the in uh, in the nation's history because some of them are brainwashed by missionaries some of them are brainwashed by naxals and often they are not aware of their own you know uh, past antecedents so creation of the biggest war memorial at dumbari hills where the final battle between the britishers and birsa munda's troops were fought in jharkhand confirmation of birsa munda confirmation of bharat ratna to birsa munda creation of a birsa tribal uh, of a birsa tourism corridor encapsulating all of those areas where the movement unfolded and birsa munda lived his life are some of the ways where in which uh, a greater sense of belonging belongingness can be given to the tribal community because honestly the way i see it birsa munda just like kashi is a confluence of the hindu religion birsa munda 
today can be seen as a confluence of all tribal communities across the country and as an icon who all of them would revere uh, cohesively staying on the on the missionary enterprise for a moment so uh, during the times of birsa munda the missionary enterprise was part of the power structure i mean they they drove the policies they drove the law they drove the you know things on the ground in terms of co-opting the zamindars uh, etc and the life was very difficult because power flowed flowed from them which is not the case in post independence india and yet we see that the same kind of strategies of allurement and uh, uh, you know threats uh, still work towards uh creating converted uh, christians i mean typically derided as rice bags uh, in, in in some circles what explains that i mean given the kind of development that has already occurred in india how come these material allurements still continue to force people into uh, see sadly to my understanding you know the congress politicians have been apologetic about the hindu identity so it's not just uh, their tacit support to the missionaries if you if you go to assam i think uh, illegal migration has been institutionalized had been institutionalized by the previous congress governments over a period of 50 years with a very deliberate intent to tamper the demography of the land so somewhere you know they felt that immediate vote banks catering to immediate vote banks was way better than protecting or shielding or fortifying the country from its uh, potential national security threats and unfortunately this mindset had been followed for too long so the same applies whether it is uh, the illegal migration issue in bengal and assam or it is the problem of missionaries i think generally congress politicians or opposition poli- politicians have been too apologetic about the hindu identity they have been used to taking the hindu vote bank for granted and somewhere they felt that by cultivating a vote bank in the minorities i don't know whether they were they were waiting for a scenario where the demography or the religious demography of the country would be adequately altered for them to gain by it but yes i mean evidence suggests that uh, in certain areas religious demography was deliberately altered with uh, with a view to you know cementing their political vote banks as you said that uh, the current prime minister has given a lot of emphasis on popularizing the story of birsa munda through a lot of activities that he has done um, i mean birsa munda has at least in jharkhand i mean i also come from bihar and uh, we are from the same state before it was bifurcated uh, I, still, I, I, I still i still don't see a difference <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so i mean the story is very well known in bihar i mean the the airport in ranchi is named after birsa munda there are schools and colleges and universities and roads which are named after birsa munda he is a very well known figure in that part of the that part of the region why is that story not known very widely across india uh, i mean uh, if, if you look at some of the other figures of independence movement they are, tip, they are called mainstream figures and they are you know Uh, known across india but not not uh, someone like birsa munda why is that the case according to you i think we had a snobbish attitude towards uh, towards uh, the poor and towards the tribal population so even though you know if you if you ask me uh, even though i've only initiated preliminary research into it i can i can 
say that uh, even even uh, Subhash Chandra Bose's attempts to create or his efforts in creating INA could have been inspired in some way by Birsa Munda. Birsa Munda managed to do it in a smaller scale. In fact, uh, Suresh Prabhuji was there for one of the online events of the book. And he was wondering that at a time when communication was so restricted and limited, even in urban centers, for a 24, 23-year-old person to actually create a network of, you know, uh, a kind of a private army across villages and villages that were largely engulfed uh, in jungles and do it in a way that the Britishers were completely taken by surprise, despite the fact that he was you know, on the radar of Britishers for at least two years before that. That speaks volumes about his leadership quality. So, you know, I the only reasons which come to my mind for him not uh, having got his due is a generally snobbish attitude, which uh, which we have had in the first fifty years of our independence, thanks to the to the regime which which uh, was ruling India then. I think uh, they were too enamored of uh, of people who would oppress us. So naming roads after Aurangzeb and naming roads after Babur were in things in those point of view. I, I mean, the definition of secularism was completely different. I'm glad, I'm glad we have so many open debates over here now. So somewhere I think we had a very apologetic attitude towards our cultural identity. Culture, uh, it was okay to compromise on culture as long as steel plants were built. And that tendency had existed for far. Even those were not built very well. And yeah. 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 But then to give them a benefit of doubt, which one should ideally not give. You know, history has generally always been written from the point of view of kings and rulers. And in fact, uh, that is one of the challenges when you when you try and discover the lives of these subaltern heroes now, because their lives were never really documented during the lifetime. In fact, the impact of the revolutions were recorded or were uh, noticed only after their death. For example, Father Hoffman, who was the main adversary, one of the main adversaries of uh, Birsa Munda in the last couple of years of Birsa Munda's struggle. In 1908, roughly eight years after Birsa Munda's death, it was Father Hoffman who was instrumental in the enactment of Chota Nagpur Land Tenancy Act, one of the landmark reforms for preservation of uh, Adivasi land rights. So either it was uh, remorse, which I doubt, or it was a genuine realization of the impact that Birsa Munda's revolution had left behind. Most of these, uh, the impact of most of these revolutions were noticed only after they were gone. And that is when over the years, people started researching on these characters. They started uh, revisiting their lives, but because there were very few primary sources of information, it became, it made the task all the more difficult. In fact, that is one of the reasons I have consciously, you know, dramatized certain portions instead of making it a non-fiction book, like, because like I said, I don't uh, qualify to be a historian in the, in the authentic sense of the word. And two, like I said, there were restrictions in terms of travel during the first few months of the pandemic when the book was being written. But I hope it's, it's uh, you know, the present form makes it more entertaining and more easily consumable for the present generation. And uh, they relate to Birsa Munda's character in a more robust way. So on that Chota Nagpur Tenancy Act, which Father Hoffman sort of pioneered and uh, which provided land rights to Adivasis, so one of the theories there is that this was actually done because by that time, 
the tribals were getting a national consciousness would have could have become part of the national mainstream movement and by solving the current problems uh, for them which was basically giving them land rights and economic opportunities within that region they were sort of contained uh, within that space and which is what we see continuing post independence also so we talk of tribes as something different rather than you know uh, working on those issues with the same sort of uh, a mindset which 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 you you uh, uh, create steel plants for example right so uh, i mean one of the disadvantages of that act was that instead of them getting integrated into national mainstream mm-hmm. they remained aloof so i mean that could have been one of the strategies which which they came forward but, but yeah. again on another note just look at the legacy which virsamunda has left behind yeah uh, jaypal munda if you uh, heard the name many unfortunately haven't jaypal munda was the only tribal leader who was a member of the constituent assembly mm. and in fact again you know because i was researching on virsamunda i generally took the research a little beyond him some of the finest and the most erudite speeches during the making of uh, constituent assembly uh, sorry during the making of framing of our constitution have been by jaypal munda Mm. in fact in terms of intellect i would rate him as high as br ambedkar but unfortunately again uh, because of the somewhat snob snobish attitude which we have had or a selective attitude which we have had towards uh, historical figures hardly anybody knows him. Mm. but uh, i'm sure he was inspired belonging to the same clan i'm sure he was uh, inspired by bersamunda in a big way and uh, this is the beauty of a uh, legendary life you inspire characters in their own way so while the means adopted by jaypal munda were very different he was a you know uh britain educated adivasi who would you know end his day with a glass of wine and could discuss any international issue but then uh, i'm sure in terms of legacy somewhere he was inspired by the contribution of persa munda and uh, uh, he was also a hockey captain at one point of time of the indian mm-hmm. hockey team so what would you say are the are the takeaways from from the book that you have written from about the life and times of persa munda that that our listeners should know well persa munda the you know is growing it's still growing upon me and i'm sure it's still going growing upon the country also because when i first shared the book cover with a few friends in mumbai couple of them asked were confused and they asked me is is he a mythological figure or is he a historical figure so so i think the awareness i guess that may also be because the appellation of bhagwan is not uh, necessarily associated with figures who are merely you know 120 years old so yeah, but i i still feel the awareness about persamunda beyond bihar uh, charkhand orissa chatisgarh and madhya pradesh is still quite low so if the book manages to acquaint and educate people about a fantastic and fantabulous life of 25 years that would be a big achievement but like i said the book is still growing upon me and i'm sure it would the character would still grow upon people a few years down the line because it's still a uh, an evolving brand people still don't know uh, too much about it unlike some brands where there is a so feet of information there is still a dearth of information which my book and maybe a couple of other books which come out in the years to come may solve that but if you ask me today birsa munda is an emotion it's a thought process 
it's about the dark horse you know gathering the conviction gathering the the wherewithal to fight a much superior much more capable or much more uh, uh, much stronger adversary and uh, managing to surprise the world so you know somebody may be facing that situation in the corporate world today with an oppressive boss somebody may be facing that situation in a in a morbid personal relationship so i think it's it's that sentiment of fighting back against uh, against a much uh, stronger enemy and uh, being able to do something which surprises yourself and the rest of the world leaving a legacy behind quite a fascinating story yeah so uh, would request the listeners to buy tohin's latest book the legend of birsa so, munda um, thank you for your time in fact i would let love to send you a physical copy this is the book uh, every book tends to be very special for an author it's like the birth of a baby so this is the 11th book eventually and with 11 babies i think i have been bad at family planning but then uh, an author should write 20 30 40 books so i'm glad uh, you know bharat varth got uh, took time out to discuss birsa munda and uh, i do hope more is written about birsa munda in the years to come thanks to him thanks for writing the book thank and you thanks for being on our podcast thanks a lot thank you it was lovely discussing having this discussion with you thank you so much and a very happy new year to all you your viewers thank you thank you for tuning in to this episode of the bharat vartha podcast if you want to see more content like this then don't forget to subscribe to our channel we started bharat vartha to facilitate long form discussions on politics policy and culture we don't necessarily endorse anything that was said in this episode if you wish to offer us feedback do reach out to us on social media we are at bharat vartha on facebook twitter and instagram you could also get in touch with us on our website www.bharatvartha.in the links are in the description below until next time stay safe take care and jai